the front of the pews. Uh, you'll find one there. If you're a first responder, you should have got you just got a Bible. So you're in good shape. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark and then Luke. So Luke chapter number 10, verse number 30. And this morning we're going to um, speak about the first first responder and the greatest of all first responders. We're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, if you have a Bible, in the front there should be an index, a, a table of contents, and uh, you can look, up, uh, look it up that way. But Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 30, once you have found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read responsibly from verse 30 down through verse number 35. And uh, just so you know, the service will go till about 12.05 or so. And just so everyone knows uh, the time frame, it'll go to about 12.05. So uh, if you can uh, plan to stick around, that would be uh, great. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. We're going to read down through verse 35. I'm going to read the even-numbered verses by myself. And then when we get to verses 31, 33, and 35, we will read those as a group out loud together. Beginning in verse 30, the Bible says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. We're going to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Rescue the Perishing. Let's pray. I ask this morning, Lord, as we open the Bible and we look at uh, many parallels that our first responders uh, would have with you, God, that you would open our eyes and help us to see the truth of how to not just be rescued from a car accident or uh, a crime committed against us, Lord, or a fire uh, or a medical condition, but God, how to be rescued from, uh, Lord, the eternal, uh, eternal consequences of the sin in our hearts. And Lord, thank you for being, Jesus, thank you for being that responder who came and saw us in our need. And Jesus, you were willing to, to suffer for us and to provide for us a way out of uh, eternal hell and to give us the gift of eternal life. And so I pray, God, today that you would help us all to have an, opening, an open heart and a listening ear. And may your word resonate in our hearts. Help us to leave this morning changed in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. An elderly man was uh, uh, going up to bed when his wife told him that he'd had a light on in the garden shed, which um, she could see from the bedroom window. So he opened the back door to go turn off the light, but saw that there were people in the shed stealing things. So he phoned the police and asked, is, is someone, uh, he, he, he phoned the police who asked him, is someone in your house? He said, no, but some people are breaking into my garden shed and stealing from me. 
Well, the police dispatcher told the man, uh, he said, uh, all patrols are busy. You should lock your doors and an officer will be along when one is available. So George said, okay, and he hung up. Well, 30 seconds later, he called back. And this time he said, hello, I just called a few seconds ago because there were people stealing things from my shed. Well, you don't need to worry about coming back because I took care of it. I just shot and killed both of them. And the dogs are eating them right now. And then he hung up the phone. Within five minutes, six police cars, a SWAT team, a helicopter, two fire trucks, a paramedic, and an ambulance showed up at the residence and caught the burglars red-handed. One of the policemen said to the man, I thought you said you had shot them. He replied, I thought you said no one was available. I had to get one where I pick on the police. Now I'm going to get one out where I pick on the preacher, okay? So um, there was a minister who, uh, who parked his car in a no-parking zone in a large city. Uh, the reason was he was short on time and he couldn't find the space with the meter. So as he parked his car in this no-parking zone, he, he, he put a note under the windshield wiper that read, I have circled the block a hundred times. I don't, uh, I, if I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. And then in all bold caps lock, he wrote, forgive us our trespasses. When he returned, he found a citation from a police officer along with this note. I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I will lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> This morning, we, uh, we uh, have done our best to honor the first responders. And we have to say, White Oak Baptist Church is pro-police. It is pro-fire department. It is pro-paramedic. We believe in you. We're thankful for you. We are proud Americans. We, um, we love our country. And uh, we're thankful for your effort uh, to help make our city the best version of itself that it can be. Um, I want us to take a little bit of time this morning, and I want us to honor the greatest first responder that this world has ever known. And his name is Jesus Christ. You say, well, well, how has Jesus rescued anybody from anything? And I can say unequivocally that I was rescued from the eternal consequences of my sins by Jesus on April 8th. 1988. It became clear to me as a young child that my eternal soul was in great distress and that I needed someone to rush in and save me. That uh, evening, sitting in that church there in that city in Mississippi, a city about the same size as Stratford, what I did was I bowed my head and I asked Jesus to come into my life and take away my sin and also take away the punishment that was attached to those sins. And that day, what did Jesus do? Jesus rescued me. He allowed my sin crimes to be acquitted in God's eternal court and He gave me access to eternal life in heaven. Now, in this story of the Good Samaritan uh, here in Luke chapter 10, we find Jesus' answer to a question about who is my neighbor. If you know the backstory here, there is a lawyer conversing with Jesus. And if you know much about lawyers, they're really super technical people, aren't they? Uh, 
They uh, they want to know uh, the contract. If there's a loophole there, that lawyer is going to find that loophole. And uh, the, this lawyer had uh, asked Jesus, what is the greatest command in the Bible? And Jesus said, you tell me. And the man said, well, it's that I'm to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. And Jesus said, the like a second is just like it. You've got to learn to love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Well, the lawyer looking to acquit himself of any guilt, he looked back at Jesus and said, well, who is my neighbor anyway? Who, what does that even mean? That idea of a neighbor, that is ambiguous. There is no clear-cut answer on what a neighbor is. Jesus, please clarify, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus proceeded to tell him the story we just read about in Luke chapter 10 and answer the question of who is my neighbor. Now, I propose that Jesus has done more to love his neighbor in their time of need than anyone else in the history of humanity. I also propose that we must learn to love our neighbors and tell them about the saving grace of Jesus that can rescue each and every one of us, uh, each and every one of them from their sins. Now, let's take a look at five thoughts this morning from the story about the Good Samaritan as we consider this topic, Rescue the perishing. I'd encourage you to take out a piece of paper or if you have a phone, maybe pull out a notes type app and scribble down the notes that will be up on the screen so you can review this later. Either write them down or electronically take them. But notice point number one, the condition of the traveler, the condition of the traveler. Look with me at Luke chapter 10 and verse number 30, if you would. Luke chapter 10, 30. I encourage you to leave your Bible throughout the duration of the message as we'll be referring back to it several times. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 says, And Jesus answer, answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now I'm going to give you an A, B, and a C under point number one here. Notice letter A. His appointment, his appointment. Verse 30 says that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This man was a resident of Jerusalem, most likely, and he was taking a trip from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Jericho. And we know they didn't have the modern transportation of today. This was written some 2000 years ago. So it was either going to be done on a horseback or by some kind of a mule or this man was going to walk from Jerusalem to Jericho, probably a Jewish man leaving Jerusalem and heading to Jericho. And this man left with great anticipation of arriving at his destination. Maybe he was visiting family. Maybe he was taking a vacation. Maybe uh, he was uh, heading there uh, on business. We don't know why this man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. But one thing we do know is that for certain, this man had a calendar to keep. He had appointments uh, uh, in front of him and he was uh, busy running from one place to another. Letter B, notice his attackers. His attackers. Look back at verse number 30. It says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him. Now, there's no other way to put this other than to say, This man totally got jumped. He got jumped. He was going from one place to another, and he came up uh, 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 along the way as he's walking down the road, and there were some thieves that were hiding in the bushes looking for some innocent soul. And this is generally how it works. 
Those that uh, are police officers, they understand this. But uh, a thief is not going to pick the biggest, strongest man to jump. He's going to look for some weak person. And generally, he's going to look for someone who's all by themselves. He's going to go after them. And he's not going to go after someone who he thinks might be carrying a concealed weapon. He's going to go after someone who he thinks is, uh, is, is, is not able to, uh, to, to properly defend themselves. And so we don't know how long these thieves were lying in wait to jump this man. But we know that he was, they were lying in wait, waiting for just the right person to come along. Waiting for uh, no one else to be around to witness the crime. And when this poor soul, this traveler, came along heading from Jerusalem to the city of Jericho on that highway, walking by himself, these thieves jumped from their hiding place and they beat this man up. They stripped him naked. They took his luggage and they left him lying there. Now, let me just quickly say this morning that Satan has also done this very deed to all of humanity. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says this, it says, be sober. That means be aware, be vigilant, be on your toes. Why? Because your enemy, your thief, your adversary, the devil What's he do? He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is looking for the weak one. He's looking for the one that is easily attacked. He's looking for the one that's defenseless, and he is going after them. And i got to say that Satan is not just sunk the weakest among us. Satan has attacked. Satan has hurt. Satan has tore down all of humanity, if you're here today or you're not here today, Satan has gone after you and he has hurt you. You say, well, I don't see it that way, Pastor Lejeune. And I would just remind you of the Genesis account. You see, things were much different back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were first made. You see, animals were all herbivores. The lion did not chase down the lamb to eat him. Or the antelope. The lion and the antelope, or the lion and the lamb, they lay down together and they slept. They ate from the plants and the trees. They were not after each other. And they did not attack each other. They did not attack humans. There was no crime. There was no domestic abuse, uh, uh, or, or any abuse for that matter. There was no shoplifting. There was no stealing. There was no drugging. There were no murders. There were no Fires, there were no heart attacks or seizures or strokes, and there were no overdoses. There were no broken hearts, and there was no pain. There were no hospitals, funerals, or cemeteries. There were no disappointments or broken relationships. You see, prior to Satan uh, 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 being the thief that has jumped and hurt and stripped and beaten down humanity, boy, there were none of these things. But Satan has come along, and he has attacked humanity. He has jumped mankind and he has left us with a broken and sin-filled and sin-hurt world. Why? Because Satan circled Adam and Eve and convinced them to bring a condemning sin curse on all of God's creation. And we are now living under the condemnation of the sin curse brought upon us by the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Just as this man was attacked by thieves, we as a creation have been attacked by the king of all thieves, Satan himself. Now, let, notice letter C, his abandonment, his abandonment. We see here that this man was left with no help or rescue. Back then, there was no cell phone he could grab and call 911. There was no 911. There were no 
police officers or EMS workers or firefighters. There was none of that. This man was left in the ditch, abandoned to die. Now, maybe some ruthless, unkind soul, uh, 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 maybe some wild animal, maybe some way it seemed as though he was just left for dead. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, speaking of Satan, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. What does Satan want to do to humanity? Please listen to me. He wants to steal He wants to kill and he wants to destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your soul or your body and he wants to destroy your soul in hell. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your body and he wants to destroy your soul in hell. Uh, What has Satan done ever since he got Adam and Eve to sin? He's done everything possible to bring humanity as low as he can. He has convinced mankind to live as bankrupt from morality as he can convince them to do. I'm looking at uh, some of our uh, public safety uh, officers, some of our police officers, and you gentlemen, you have to deal with and look at mankind at their worst moments, at their most immoral state. You have to deal with these things, and you know too well that Satan has come along and tripped up mankind and then abandoned them to, 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 to sleep in their own throw-up in a gutter somewhere or to commit some crime only to land in prison abandoned and alone. Satan slithered up to Eve and acted like her friend. But once she did what he convinced her to do, what happened? Satan and Satan became the fiercest of enemies. That's what Satan does. He'll slither up to you and he'll convince you to commit some sin. And then once you've committed it and you're facing the consequences of that sin, he is nowhere around to help you. He abandons you. Just like these thieves jump this man and abandon him. Number one, we see the condition of the travelers. Number two, notice the cold heart of the priest. The cold heart of the priest. Look at verse 31 of Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible there. Luke chapter 10, verse 31, it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Here. So just give me the pulpit if you can. Now, uh, this man was supposed to be religious. But when he saw this man in need, you know what he did? He immediately crossed over to the other side of the street and pretended as though the man didn't even exist. Here you have this guy that's been jumped. He's naked. He's bleeding to death. He's dying in a ditch. And this religious priest comes down the road. And as at a distance, he sees this Jewish man dying in the ditch. His brother dying in a ditch. And instead of going over and help, helping the man, he crosses the street and he pretends as though the guy's not even there. I think that if cell phones had been around that day, this is probably, uh, do I have my, yeah, I got my cell phone right here. This is probably what it would have looked like. I wanted to show a video this morning on this point, but I couldn't find one that was quite appropriate for the service. But I went on uh, the Internet and I watched several videos of of people dying in the street and folks just walking right by. Well, the man dies right at their feet. One man in New York jumped in to help a 
uh, a crime that was happening, a woman that was being taken advantage of. And the man, as he was trying to help, was stabbed and he fell in the street in the snow there in New York City. And then uh, that, that happened a little before six in the morning as the rush hour picked up. The whole rush hour passed by and folks walked right past the man and no one stopped to help him. After two or three hours of laying in the snow, finally someone stopped and the man had died. The man had died. We live in a world where violence is everywhere, don't we? Murders abound on the streets of our inner cities. Women and children are taken advantage of and or abused regularly. Video games and TV shows and movies show a realistic view of people being shot or murdered. As a people, we are growing desensitized to violence and it causes us to shrug off the pain of others. I remember as a boy living in a small town, occasionally we'd see an ambulance with its lights on or a fire truck rushing to an emergency as it would rush by. And I'm thankful for a mother who is sensitive to the needs of others. And every single time as a child, I grew up in her home when a fire truck or an ambulance went streaking by us, we would stop what we were doing. My mom would pull the car over to the side of the road if time allowed, or at the least while she was driving, she would have us pray and ask God to help the people that uh, that fire truck or ambulance was on its way to. And we were reminded that uh, they were broken people and they needed help and they needed prayer. But i got to say that as I have gotten older, at times I have forgotten to do this. My heart at times has grown cold. Beyond seeing people that are hurt in a traumatic physical way. Can I, can I speak to you, the church, direct right here? You're looking at me? I believe that beyond just someone hurt physically in a traumatic way, we are guilty Walking right past people who are broken on the inside. And we don't stop and help our neighbor. A co-worker that's going through a divorce or separation. A woman in your life who's abused by a man in her life. Um, someone who's dealing with addictions and searching for help. Are we stopping and looking for these signs in people's lives? So we can put ourselves out there to help them? Or are we so self-absorbed that people are, are internally, emotionally, uh, uh, spiritually bleeding? They're walking right past us. They're saying things to give off cues that they want your help because they know you're a Christian. And we walk right on by and we ignore it. And I have to say, do not be cold-hearted like this priest. This priest came up on this man who was dying in the ditch, heading from Jericho to Jerusalem, probably on his way to the temple to do the work of a priest. He sees the man there and he walks right past him. Number three. Number one, we looked at the condition of the traveler. Number two, the cold heart of the priest. Number three, notice the calloused heart of the Levi. The calloused heart of the Levi. Look at verse 32 with me, if you will. Luke chapter 10, verse number 32 there in your Bibles. It says, and likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So here's this Levite. He's walking down the road behind the priest and he comes up on the man in the ditch and he doesn't cross the street and ignore him. He walks up to the ditch and he stares down at the man in the ditch and he probably goes, ooh, I bet that hurt. And then he walks across the street and leaves him there. You know what we call that? We call that rubbernecking. 
You guys use that term up here? Rubbernecking? By the way, if you're not going to help stop and help someone on the side of the road, slow down a little bit and move over, but you don't need to slow down to five miles an hour and stare. Okay? Because then you hold everyone else up. So don't do that. All right? Uh, either get out and help or be respectful and move over and, and, and go on. But, uh, but that's a side trail. That's a sidebar, right? Uh, but back to this. This man, this Levite, again, another religious man, he had a calloused heart. He wanted to spectate and see the blood and hear the man moaning in pain. But when it came time for him to help, he shrugged his shoulders, he crossed the street, and he went his way. The priest completely ignored the dying man. The Levite stopped and studied the broken man and then decided to move on. Now, I want to say this here because I think this is totally relevant and, and totally needed. And I think many of us Christians are guilty of what I'm about to say. Have you noticed in the news lately that uh, one of the talking points of the left is um, when a tragedy happens, you'll hear a lot of people saying, our thoughts and prayers are with those affected. And those that are uh, non-religious and looking for an opportunity to attack the religious, they'll say something along this lines. You can keep your thoughts and prayers because they've never helped anybody. Have you any of you heard this in the, in the news lately? This is a push of, we don't need your thoughts and prayers. They don't do anything anyway. If you really were someone who were thoughtful in praying, then your God would have kept this from happening to begin with. And I just have to say, the thoughts and prayers are there to be a comfort. They're not there to change or bring someone back. And so the thoughts and prayers are necessary. But on that token, let me say this. I imagine that Levite man may have looked in the ditch and saw the man, and maybe even felt a little pity for the man, And as he walked across the street, said to himself, Lord, would you help that man to do better? What a waste of a prayer. What a waste of a prayer. Now, um, saying I'll pray about it while I'm walking away from it. God is saying back to you, he's saying, Why are you asking me to help that person when I could use you to help them? Hey, why don't you stop asking me to do something and why don't you get down in the ditch and help your brother that's dying? Now listen, when there are times when we uh, pray and call out to God and there are no actions that we can offer to help because it is out of our control. I think of a mom and dad who have a child dying of cancer and they've taken them uh, to all the doctor's appointments and they've taken them to the hospitals and and they're doing everything they can and, and the child is still not able to be helped beyond that point. Those parents crumbling to their knees and saying, God, we've done what we can. The rest is on you. Please heal our child. And at that time you pray and no more, no more action can be taken. But when God can use you to better a situation, don't be like this Levite man that, that, that looks at the man in the ditch and then possibly prays as he's walking away. No, no, no. You get down in the ditch and you say, Lord, I'm going to help this man. Give me the wisdom to know how to help him. This priest, was he a first responder? No, he wasn't. How about the Levite? 
Was he a first responder? No. There's a song that goes something like this. It says, so many lost and dying in this world today. Can you hear their crying or do you turn away? The harvest now is plenteous, but the laborers are few. God needs a willing vessel to be used. Here am I. I will go. I will reach the lost untold. I will give the Lord control. I will tell them of the crimson flow. The song continues, For my Savior died on that old rugged cross. He thought of me when He counted the cost. How can I say that I love Him if I won't reply? Here am I. I will go. I will reach the lost untold. I will give the Lord control. I will tell them about that crimson flow. Number one, we look at the condition of the traveler. Number two, the cold heart of the priest. Number three, the calloused heart of the Levite. Quickly, number four, notice the compassion of the Samaritan. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 33 with me. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Quickly, letter A, notice, he set aside racial tensions. He set aside racial tensions. Now, I need you to understand the dynamic of that day. You see, this the Jews were maybe the most racist people ever to live. The Jews looked at anyone that wasn't a Jew and called them a Gentile dog. You weren't even human. Now, there have been levels of racism that have matched this, but I don't know that there have been levels of racism that exceeded this. Please understand the dynamic of that day. The Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. Let me make sure you understand what a Samaritan was. A Samaritan was a half breed. A Samaritan was half Jew, half Assyrian. The Samaritans were so hated by the Jews that when the Jews would travel to Jerusalem for their feast days, the Jews would come to the region of Samaria and they would travel around Samaria so as not to walk through there. They did not want to economically support their hotels, their restaurants. They didn't want to interact with the people. When they saw them, they went the other way. They treated them like garbage. The Jews hated the, the, the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they in turn really didn't care for the Jews. And here's this Samaritan walking down the road and he looks in the ditch and he sees a Jewish man laying in the ditch and he's dying. And if this man would have responded the way most folks would have responded, he would have walked up to the edge of the ditch and he would have said, uh, you, what you stand for is oppression. What you stand for is hatred. What you stand for are generations of, uh, uh, of filth in between us. He would have maybe even spit in the guy's direction 
walked across the street and said, I hope you die. But that's not what this man did. He was able to set aside the difference in skin color. He was able to set aside the difference in culture. He was able to set aside uh, all of the all of the problems that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And he got down in the ditch and he helped the man that was dying. Letter B, notice he gave of his time. Not only did he set aside racial tensions, he gave of his time. It tells us here that he got down off of his beast or his horse and he picked the man up and he put him on his horse And he took him to a hotel and he put him in that inn or that hotel and he poured wine or or medicine into his wounds and he bound him up and he got him situated in the room. And he told the man, he said, I'm going to finish my trip and on the way back, I will pay you for whatever else this stay costs. He gave of his time, letter C, notice he gave of his treasures. Here he got down, he took of the oil and wine, the medicine that he had, and he gave it to the man. He paid the man's hotel stay. He paid for his medical care. He told the man at the hotel, he said, nurse this man back to health. And when you get back, I will pay you out of my own pocket whatever extra it costs. The compassion of the Samaritan. Now that word compassion is an interesting word. That word compassion means that you look down on someone who uh, is is hurting. You look down on someone who uh, uh, has less than you do. You look down on someone with pity and you love them. You love them. This Samaritan man was hated by the man in the ditch, or at least uh, what the man in the ditch represented, but he loved him anyway. He loved him anyway. Let me just say this right here at White Oak Baptist Church. We don't believe uh, in stereotyping. We don't believe in uh, um, uh, a profiling. We believe that God created uh, one human race. One race. The human race. Racism is not welcomed in this church. It does not matter your country of origin. It does not matter your color. It does not matter uh, uh, how society has treated you or what your past holds. If you come to our church and you want the love of Jesus to be dumped on you, then you will be treated just the same as everyone else. It saddens my heart to see a country that's so divided. We have people that are in the philosophical world who do everything they can to divide, divide, divide. My friend, we all carry about us the same value because we all have a soul. Jesus Christ valued that soul enough to look down on us and pity and love us. Number five, notice your rest, your choice to be rescued, your choice to be rescued. If you can turn over Romans chapter five, I'm going to finish with this passage, Romans chapter five. Now, um, up on the screen, I'm going to give you uh, the parallels of the people in this story. And then I'm going to speak directly to each of you here today. First of all, notice the traveler. 
He represents all of humanity. It'll be up on the screen there. The traveler represents all of humanity. That man that was jumped, that was beaten up, that was uh, left to die. That's me and you. You say, well, but I'm not bleeding. Spiritually, you are. Spiritually, you are. Uh, You say, well, I'm not laying in a ditch naked. In the eyes of God, sin has stripped you spiritually naked. Say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Can we stop playing games? There is none righteous. Romans 3 tells us. No, not one. You might be righteous compared to some criminal sitting in prison somewhere. But compared to a holy God who's never committed a single sin, we are all undone. We are all filthy. We are all sinners. The traveler that was jumped, he represents all of humanity. The thieves represent sin and Satan. Sin and Satan. Satan has hurt us. He has brought us to sin. And uh, the Samaritan here in this story, he is represented by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Just like that Samaritan man went down in the ditch and picked up that wounded man and helped him. Jesus has looked at us in our broken state and he has loved us. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse number 7. It says there, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God proved or commended his love toward us in that while we were yet broken, while we were yet jumped, while we were yet hurt, while we were yet dying, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Much more than being now justified, forgiven by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Here's the truth. Uh, Satan came along and he's tripped up humanity. He's beaten him. He's bludgeoned him. He's hurt him. He's placed sin in our hearts. He has set us on a course of condemnation in hell. And one day when we die, we're going to stand before a righteous judge named God Almighty. And God is going to judge us not by the good of our life. He's going to judge us by the sins of our life. And a holy God that has never committed a single sin is going to look at you and hold Hold you accountable for the sins that you've committed. And if you die with those sins in your heart, God is going to condemn you. He's going to sentence you to everlasting judgment in a place called hell. You say, Pastor Lejeune, that seems extreme. That seems harsh. And I've got to say that the justice system would not be the justice system if there was not a place of punishment for wrongdoers. God must punish us for our sins. But... While God is just, God is also mercy. You see, God loves you so much that He took Jesus. Please don't miss this. This is the whole crux of the day. He took Jesus and He sent Him to earth. And Jesus came. 
And He looked at us in our perishing state. In our hurt state. And He he had Jesus nailed up on the cross. And while Jesus hung on the cross, God looked ahead in time and He saw you. He saw every sin you'd commit in your life. And He took those sins and the sins of the rest of humanity. And Jesus Christ became your sin and died in your place. Now, Jesus was so powerful that after our sins killed Him, He stood up from the dead. And He defeated your death. And he stands in the courtroom of God right now. And he says to the judge, you don't have to punish him or her because I've already suffered. And if you will look at the man who died for you and you will believe in him and call on him. Then, my friends, God, the judge, will acquit your crimes. And he'll let you have free access and entrance to heaven. Just like a man who's committed hideous crimes and deserves death row would be let off if someone was willing to step in and suffer his consequences for him. If the justice system so allowed for that type of a setup, the justice system in heaven has. And Jesus has paid the crime. Now, the only thing you must do is make the call. Make the call. These men sitting on the back row back here that so faithfully serve our city. If you have a problem and you need their help, they're not going to come if you don't call. You say, well, I need the help. Then make the call. Romans chapter 10 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be rescued. Jesus, the greatest first responder, is looking at you in your perishing state. And if you'll make the call, you'll call on Him in prayer, He will save your soul. He'll save your soul. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I pray that the sermon has resonated in many hearts. May the Christians here not just pray for people that are hurting, but step up and do something to help the hurting. And Lord, for those that are here today that have not called on Jesus to save them, I pray they would do that right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come in and forgive your sins and give you that gift of eternal life, can I help you to do that right where you're at? Would you pray this prayer with me? Would you call on the name of Jesus under your breath? It doesn't matter if you're young or old, if you're man or woman. It doesn't matter what your background is how much money you do or don't have. Jesus Christ died for you. He rose from the dead for you. And if you'll call on Him, He'll rescue you from hell and give you access to heaven. Just pray this prayer right where you are. Under your breath, just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin is wrong. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, into my life, and rescue me. Give me the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer today from your heart and you meant it, I would like to rejoice with you. Would you mind just slipping up your hand so we can rejoice with you? Is there one today that said, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to save me. Is there one?
How many here today say, Pastor, it, it, is, uh, it is an area of improvement that I need to work on, and that is helping others in their hurt, looking for hurt in others, and being willing to put myself out there and help the wounded. Pastor, pray that I'll be like the Good Samaritan and not like the priest or the Levite in the story. Here's my hand, Pastor. Will you pray for me that I will do a better job of responding to people's problems? Lord, I do pray today that you'd help us to be on our toes, to be alert, Lord, to help those that are hurting. Thank you for the service we've had today. Thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and offers the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar is open. We'd like to encourage those that like to come and kneel and talk to the Lord in prayer to do that at this time. If you um, are uh, here today and you do not know that Jesus is your Savior, you've not asked Jesus to rescue you from the consequences of sin, then I would encourage you to come and take Brother Owens here uh, to the side and let him tell you how you can know that. If you have been saved, but you've not been baptized scripturally, I'd like to encourage you to to get baptized. If you um, uh, have been saved and baptized, but would like more information about joining our church, we'd love to offer that to you as well. But the altar is open. We'd like to encourage you to make decisions at this time. Let's continue to pray where we are as those here pray at the front. You can look this way. We have one really exciting uh, a, a decision to announce. I did not know this was going to happen today, so we didn't plan time and service for it, but that's okay. This is really neat. Shanice Figueroa uh, is coming for baptism. Shanice has got a really neat story. Uh, Shanice grew up in a very broken home and uh, has really uh, struggled to get to where she is in life. Mike Scarpetti invited her to church. Uh, he was her teacher in the city of Bridgeport, math teacher, uh, back in the seventh grade. And uh, she uh, remembered him and, and his witness. And she came to church some time ago on a Wednesday evening. And then later, uh, with an appointment with me and my wife, uh, she asked Jesus to be her Savior in my office. And Shanice has been uh, coming and growing in the Lord. And Shanice has decided to follow the Lord in baptism this morning. We are so excited for that. If you don't mind, this will be a quick process. Uh, uh, we have apple cider donuts and apple cider outside after church. And we're going to uh, do that with the first responders that were able to hang around. Uh, this will take about five minutes or so. If you would be seated. And Brother John's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a song while we get ready for this baptism. Okay, we're going to sing uh, 596, Victory in Jesus. So if you get a songbook, we'll uh, we'll do all the verses there.
Amen. Amen. 